Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, this is attorney Vince Davis. Today I will be replaying one of my most popular shows. I'll be back next week speaking on a new topic and taking your calls live. Thanks for listening and see you next week on the radio. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to helping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will be willing to make the necessary changes. My first question for our listeners uh, this day is, are you registered to vote? Uh, elections come up periodically in our state, in our, in our counties, and I want to know if you're registered to vote. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties. Um, Please stand by. I'm going to take our first call from area code 909, ending in 28. Hello, you're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? I have a a story to tell. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Um, Loud and clear. Hi. Okay. Hi. Uh, I have a family of uh, five and uh, it started way back about two and a half years ago. And one of the things as I look back is very important is to always have a good representation. The weakness of my whole case was wasting time for the first uh, year and a half and not having representation, uh, even though you tried to in the um, in the um, dependency court to have um, a public defender. The public defenders are are hired and paid by social services, so you really do not get. A good representation and it's hard though I know most people out there will hear this is that it's the money situation but if you can get the right attorney with the right uh, chemistry um, they'll do wonder for you uh, my case has been really a very um, unusual case every case is different but one of the mistakes that uh, uh, that is hard is that you think that the systems could be fair and in my case, I opened myself up, which was a big mistake because you try to be fair and they just slam dunk me. Not only did social services get involved, but the um, um, police got involved, code enforcement got involved, and the um, uh, fire department got involved. And problem that I saw early on was that mm. everything that better did was getting you further and further. It seemed like going backwards. Um, you um, stress and tell them everything, and uh, and uh, it just wasn't working out. The sad part is, is my family, my three younger children, are being destroyed. I fortunately getting one boy back. Um, he's back for um, several months, and that's working out good. I got another boy coming back. Uh, coming up uh, supposedly by Christmas, and then my daughter, our daughter back 
by summer of 2018. But the hardest thing I find is just to keep the faith. And there's so many um, uh, stories I hear on your show, and you do a tremendous amount of 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 your time to gain families back. You spent a more a lot of your time. I really appreciate that, and appreciate people like that, and people I hear on your show that really want what's best is to bring the families back. And so I'm just sharing this short story with you. Thank you, Mr. Vincent. Thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it. Okay, I'm going to take another poll right now. We're going to go to uh, area code, same area code 562, ending in 80. Uh, yes, good morning. I was good morning. listening to the gentleman. Good morning. I was listening to Did the gentleman tell us. Yes, I do. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. I was listening to the gentleman tell his story this morning, and it's so sad how DCS can treat a foster parents. Uh, I'm in a situation where July and June 2004, I had eight children in my home. And out of that eight, four of them were siblings. And they removed three of the siblings and left one sibling. And then on top of that, I had they left me with five children in the home, and one was a Down syndrome, which is very vulnerable and can anything could happen. She can't speak for herself. She can't do things for herself. And you would expect, if you come in into someone's home to remove children, that this would be the first child you move. But no, you don't. They didn't move them. They left them there in the house. So I have did everything I could possibly do, and nothing have turned out the way it should have. Um, letters have been presented in my behalf. My uh, minister had went to court with me, and we wasn't able to resolve anything. I have been a foster parent for over 50-some years, and my children had grown up and become successful. I'm the type of foster parents have kept children that were special needs children. And when I say special needs children, children was relevantly delayed and had many, many problems that other foster parents had gave up. And I made sure they came out to be able to take care of themselves and hold a job down. And it's just so sad. And during all of this time, uh, all these children I have kept never had a problem with none of the other parents and their children, just this set of children here that I have in my home today. And one of the little boys is still in my home. They gave him back to me when he was three years old. They taken him out and brought him back, and now he's 16 years old, and he's destroying my house. The county don't want to help me. Uh, he done broke out windows and tore down doors and everything else. And I just had to decide to call attorney because I can't take no more and see if I could get the right help that I need. But I would like to express one thing. In doing all of this in 2008, I suffered a stroke and a heart attack behind this family. And I just can't go another step. And they refused to remove this child out of my home. They said he would have to remain here. Who told you so that they refused you, to remove the child? DCS. Well, all you have to do is give them a seven-day written notice, and they have to come pick up the child. No. They said I have legal guardianship. And if I want the child removed, I had him so long, and this is like his home. He don't have no other home to go to. So if you decide to uh, take this child out of your home and give him back to us, we will have to write you up, and you might be subject to go to jail. Okay, so did they tell you that in writing, or did they tell you that just over the phone? 
No, they it wasn't over the phone. Uh, Department of Children and Family Service was uh, was at my house. Also, uh, Lakewood, she- I mean, Norwalk Sheriff was at the home. The sheriff wanted to take him, and they wouldn't. Uh, they said I had to keep him. Okay. Well, you know, I would like. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Because I want to give you some information. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm going to give you a telephone number. Okay. I'm going to give you a telephone number first. It's eight 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 six five eight two. So that's triple eight triple eight. Eighteen. Uh-huh. No, eight eight. I have Oh, eight. Triple eight triple eight. Let me repeat the number. Okay. Triple eight triple eight. Six five eight two. I have six five eight two. The last okay. four numbers I got. I want, you to call, okay. I want you to call that number in about an hour, and tell mm-hmm. the woman who answers the phone, you would like our free DVD on foster parents' rights. Okay. okay. She'll send DVD. it out to you today. I want you to watch the. I want you. I want you to watch the DVD. Okay. And I then I want you to, and then I want you to call me on Tuesday, and I will tell you what needs to be done. Tuesday. In addition, yeah. In addition, you might have a very big lawsuit against the county and the social workers. Okay. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that on Tuesday as well. Okay. Is there a certain time I need to call? Anytime after seven a.m. Okay. We open at seven a. We open at seven a.m. Okay. Thank you so much for for taking my call. All right. Thank you for calling and sharing your story. Okay. Thank you too. Okay, I'm going to try another call, and it will be area code 909 ending in 28. Good morning. Good good morning. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? A little bit of both. I'll make the story real short. The mother, I am the grandmother. The mother had um, abused the child and went to jail, uh, got four years probation, the um, father is a registered sex offender from 10 years ago, and I am um, trying to get the baby in my care. And I talked to your assistant, Jackie, and she, when she looked it up, she didn't find anything on my record, and they gave the baby to the cousins, who's never met them, but never met my granddaughter. My granddaughter's been in my home for nine months, and um, I just need someone to help me. Okay, so may I ask you a few questions? Yes. Okay, when did this case start with CPS? Uh, June. 2017? Yes. Okay, approximately approximately how many court dates have already happened? Uh, about five, four or five. <laughs> Okay. And when is the next court date? November 13th, and then it goes to hearing on December 6th. Okay, I just, I'm a little confused. I said, when's the next court date? You said November 13th, and then you said something about December. November 13th is the first, the next hearing, and then December 6th, it goes into trial. Okay, got it. Now, first of all, under California law, is your case in California, first of all? Yes. Okay. What county are you in? San Bernardino County. Okay. And what department are you in, four, five, six, or seven? 
seven. Okay, seven is the courtroom all the way to the end. Um, it's a judge. She has kind of blondish brown hair, um, like maybe late 30s, early 40s maybe. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay, so in my opinion, she is very she, – she tries to be very fair and supports families. So under the Welfare and Institutions Code in California, there is a – a slight priority of relatives to consider in placing children. And cousins of the parents are not in that priority. You know who's in that priority? is grandparents. So you have the right to be considered first before the cousins of the parents. So this is what you have to do. And if you want to our assistance in doing this, call us on Monday and um, we'll help you. But if you have a pen and a piece of paper, I'm going to tell you what needs to be done. Let me know when you're ready. Okay. Um, and the background from 20 plus years ago that Jackie couldn't find anything. Um, is that going to be a problem? I mean, it was it's expunged off my record from a judge. Okay, so it shouldn't be a problem. They may try to use it against you, but you still have a have the priority, remember, and if they're going to use right. it against you, you have the right to go to court and prove to the judge, 20 years ago, it's been expunged, shouldn't be considered. But right. you have to move, but you have to move pretty fast because, let me tell you why you have to move pretty fast, because before that um, December court date, um, if you don't file this and get a hearing before then, there is a possibility that you might lose your priority. And if you lose your priority, they're going to probably go with the relative who's had the child, quote, all this time, unquote. She just got her yesterday, day before yesterday. Oh, that's, that works in your favor then. Because they would argue oh, the child or the children have bonded psychologically and emotionally with the current caretakers. By the way, do you get along with those relatives or no? We've never met them. The baby's never met them. She's, I, I've been with this baby from when she was born in the hospital. So okay. they've never met Do you have her. your pen and your piece? Okay, do you yes. have your pen and your piece of paper? Okay, number one. Yes, I do. The first thing you... The first thing you have to do is file what's called a 388 petition. Now, there's a, a form for that 388 petition. There's a form for that, and you can Google it. Um, but here's the little trick that I – I actually had this conversation with someone yesterday. Just filing the form is probably, probably not going to get you what you want. A lot of people think that they can just fill out the form, they can file it, and they can get what they want. That's not usually what happens. You have to fill out the form, then you have to add to it. You have to add evidence, evidence like declarations from you, other relatives, and witnesses. You have to add, add evidence like exhibits and great Exhibits for 388s generally are pictures and DVDs, you know, videos showing your relationship with the child or children. That's evidence. And the other thing that you have to add, or in my opinion, is something called a memorandum of points and authorities. You have to explain to the judge in legal terms why you... Um, are asserting rights that the child should be or must be placed with you. And points and authorities are based upon established California appellate law. In other words, cases that have been decided and published by the California Supreme Court and by California appellate courts throughout the state. So those are the things that you need. But when you Google the 388 petition, a 
it's called a JV form. A JV form, and I forget the number, is going to pop up. And you're going to think, oh, this is all I need to do. And, and if you do that, you have a very small probability of getting what you want. The number two thing you have to do is you have to fill out and you have to file what's called a JV, I believe it's 285. You can Google that, okay? And in my opinion, you should have as many relatives and family friends fill out the JV 285. As I recall, it's a two-page document. It asks very simple questions, and you should fill it out and sign it. It asks questions like, do you want the child placed with you? It asks questions like, even though the child's in foster care, do you want to take the child out on outings? You know, that type of thing. So you want to definitely file that because under the law, and I think this is rarely done, but under the law, the social worker is supposed to investigate your request on the JV-285 and report back to the judge. Unfortunately, unless the attorney for one of the parents um, insists on that being done, uh, I ha I've never seen it done, to be honest with you. Now, I'm not saying it's never done, but I've never seen it done, and I represent you know, parties and cases all over the state of California. So, um, but when I'm on the case, I insist that, that that be done. The third thing that you need to do is you need to file a motion for what's called a de facto status. Now, a lot of attorneys will tell you that you can't file that motion. And that's also a JV form, but the form alone will not get you what you want. You need to add declarations, you need to add exhibits, and you need to add points and authorities why you need to be uh, recognized by the, by the court as a party. Now, I don't know a lot about your case, but um, if you took care of the child before the case started on a you know, substantial period of, for a substantial basis, you can apply for de facto status. But for those relatives who had contact with the child and did not take care for the child, you probably won't qualify for de facto status. However, there is a published case in California that is still good, good law. It's called In Ray Charles S. In Ray Charles S. Period. And if you Google that case and if you read it, it will tell you that um, if you're a relative who has a significant interest in the child, that perhaps you should be treated as a de facto parent and allowed to come into the courtroom and allowed to be represented by an attorney and allowed to produce evidence to the judge as to the child's you know, best interest, including, including where the child should be placed. So you would also want to do the uh, de facto motion and also the points and authorities arguing the Charles S. scenario. There is something that has, the fourth thing that you can do, uh, and this has arisen within the last year or two, and it's rarely used, and I don't know the circumstances, but um, any person who has had significant contact and caring for the child um, can file what's called a motion or a petition to be determined the presumed parent. Uh, because in California now, a, a child is allowed to legally have more than two parents. So, you know, generally you think a child has a mother and a father. But there are situations where other people have been involved in the child's life. And now California law, as of I think like two years ago, um, there can be something called a presumed parent. Now, a lot of people think, a lot of attorneys think that that's only for family law cases, and that's not accurate. It's for any case in California, family law, juvenile law, probate, you know. So you should be making that motion as well to be recognized as a presumed parent. And if, you're, if that motion is granted, um, you'll be treated just as if you were the mother or father. Now, I don't know enough about your case to say whether you will have, the, you know, a good chance of getting that presumed parent status because you know we really haven't discussed it. And if you'd like to discuss it, you right. can call us um, after the show, make an appointment, and I'll meet with you or talk to you. Um, but that—that's the best thing. And I'll give you an example of presumed parent. 
this actual case, and as a matter of fact, this was this case was in San Bernardino. Um, the mother, the father wasn't in the, in the picture, and the mother um, was using drugs. And the the mother had left her children for almost a year with her mother, the maternal grandmother, and the maternal grandmother was um, taking care of the kids. And the social workers got wind of the mother being a drug addict. So they filed a CPS case against her. And they ended up taking the kids from the grandmother, which you know was an atrocity in itself. But then the grandmother tried to get the kids back. And um, they wouldn't let her in the courtroom because she wasn't a parent or a party to the case, which is true. And right. when she came to me, I told her I told her that she should file um, this motion or this petition to be deemed the presumed parent. And um, we didn't represent her, but I heard afterwards that she did do that. And before they made a ruling on it, they ended up giving her the children back because San Bernardino County didn't want to deal with that issue. You see, it's kind of a new thing in the law, and it's, in some counties it's a big thing. In some counties, they don't they you know try to sweep it under the rug. They don't want to deal with it because they don't want to open the floodgates to more people coming into juvenile court. But one county, San Diego County, they deal with it all the time, and they give people presumed parent status. They have big hearings to decide whether they're presumed parents, mm-hmm. but they take it very seriously in, in 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 that county. But in other counties, they look at you like, "What the hell are you talking about?" We don't know it. And, and in, in my opinion, they actually do know the law. They just don't want to recognize that people like you might have rights in the juvenile dependency case. The next thing that you should right. do is you should, file, you should file a petition to disclose all the records to you because you don't know right now what the minute orders and the social workers' reports are saying about you, if anything. You know, sometimes social workers report to the judge that the grandmother, you know, is a uh, a mental case who's a mass murderer when that's furthest right. from the truth. But if you never, if you never know that, you, you know, you can never fight and protect your rights to your reputation and to the grandchildren. So you would file, want to file a petition to disclose the records to you for the purpose of you coming into the case and, you know, the best interest of the children. The next thing that you should do is you should file, um, now, what I'm about to tell you is very provocative. A lot of judges don't want to hear this, and a lot of uh, attorneys will tell you that, oh, Davis is crazy. You can't do that. But in my opinion, my humble opinion, based upon 30 years of practice as a lawyer, you should file a petition for the temporary guardianship and a petition for the permanent guardianship of your children, of your grandchildren in the juvenile court, not in the... Um, probate court in the juvenile court uh, and the and we won't talk about the legalities and the theory this morning but suffice it to say that's something that you should consider okay can you repeat so that one more time? file a petition for temporary guardianship and file a petition for permanent guardianship of those children you can find those forms by googling them also and those are actually probate forms. So um, you should do Thank that you so much. as well. Okay. So I hope that helps you. If you need any further assistance, call us at uh, 888-6582, and we can meet and discuss your case further. But there's one thing I want to tell you. you got to move pretty fast to do all of this because you have a court hearing where some judge may determine, or some social worker, that you're waiving your preference because you haven't done the things that I just mentioned. Remember something okay. unfortunate okay. In, in our in our le- in our legal system. I learned this in law school. I've seen it in practice for 30 years. I don't think it's fair, but it is the law. The law is the law only protects those who protect themselves. And that means right. generally you you got to go to court, you got to get an attorney, and you got to fight for what your rights. If you don't do that, the law won't protect you. And please don't expect 
that the social worker will do the right thing. You know, I was I was explaining this to a client, and I recently made a video about this. Justice in our court system is not what you think. What you believe justice to be is based upon your years of life and experiences, your beliefs, and what other people have told you. And generally speaking, that's not courtroom justice. Courtroom justice is based mm -hmm. upon laws, upon appellate cases, upon court rules, and upon, upon the judge's interpretation of those laws as it relates to your case. And your sense of justice and the courtroom justice, they're nothing. They're, they're barely related to each other. Okay? So don't yeah. look at cases. I want to tell everybody out there, don't look at cases like you think what justice is because you're probably 90% wrong. And if you're 90% wrong, you're going to be always frustrated. You're never going to understand why isn't the judge doing this or that. Well, the judge isn't doing this or that because your sense of justice is not courtroom justice. Courtroom justice, you need to go talk to an attorney. You probably need to hire him or her to represent you in the case and fight for your legal rights. Ma'am, I want to thank you for your call this morning. I certainly appreciate it. And please keep listening. Oh, thank one you. other thing I got to ask you. I got to ask you this. I'm starting, going to start asking this of all my callers. Are you registered to vote? Yes, I am. Perfect. One of the things that we're going to be doing with this show is we're going to be asking people or suggesting people from county to county, state to state, voting for certain state legislators who will be family friendly. We're going to try to get some laws changed and we're going to be um, voting for certain judges in California and in I think a lot of states. Uh, judges are elected and can be you know, voted into office or voted out of office. So we're going to try to use our voting power as a group to try to get family friendly judges. In your particular situation, if you really think about it, there should be no issue about grandparents getting the children who have been taken away from parents. And here we are. Right. I've told you, you know, probably seven or eight things you got to do and you got to fight. And there's still no guarantee that you'll get the kids. But we shouldn't even ha be having this discussion. The law should be just give the kids to the grandparents. Right. I, right? Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. And leave it, leave it like that. But that's, but that's not the law. That's not the law, if you can believe that. Anyway, again, thank you for your call. Keep listening and listen um, because we're going to be making recommendations every time that there is an election. All right? Okay. That sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. I forgot to mention that at the top of the show, and that is that we are going to start making recommendations and hopefully – um, voting as a group or a block, uh, and our goal is, of course, to try to change laws in favor of families, and our goal is to try to elect judges from county to county who are family-friendly and who we believe would give, will give families a fair shake. Uh, one of the first laws that we're going to be trying to change is the law regarding jury um, trials. Uh, in California, in a juvenile dependency case or in a family law case, you're not entitled to have a have a jury. You know, you're entitled to have a jury if you're going to in a criminal case. But you know, it seems kind of weird because most people I know care more about their family than they care about their going to jail. But yet, you don't get a jury trial if you're accused of child abuse in a juvenile dependency case, and the case is left to be heard by a judge. Um, and left to be heard by uh, recommendations and facts, be they true, false, or exaggerated by social workers. So I think people should have a right to have a jury trial to be, uh, you know, judged by uh, their peers in the community. Okay, we're going to take another call right now. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? morning hello 
the caller has pets, but I can't hear. Oh my gosh, uh, Mr. Davis. Hey, are you there? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that I was going to be in the queue. This is Fox up in Santa Cruz, and I'm just going to call your office later and talk to you about our radio show next Saturday where we want you on. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you tell the audience about your radio show? Uh, we're on KSEO Radio 1080 up in Santa Cruz, California, and uh, we're going to be on with Dr. Biles, and we're going to be talking specifically about um, CPS and uh, the court system, and a lot of people up here are desperately in need of information like you just gave the grandmother. Hold on. Okay, got rid of the birds. Sorry. Um, and the people up here are desperately in need of information that, like you just gave that last grandmother, and if I had had you um, four years ago, instead of the poodle attorney, I would have all my grandkids back. So yeah, we don't want this. Uh, three of them, yeah. The the two oldest went back to their bio dad, and the youngest one was sold to uh, inappropriate strangers. Oh my goodness. And. And we are, well, it, you know, it, it triggered the uh, suicide of my daughter. And, and I do not want this to happen to another family, ever, ever, ever. So um, I will be talking to you on the phone later today uh, or this next week, getting uh, ready for the show and getting you all the call-in numbers you'll need. So, so looking forward to the next Saturday the 4th on KSCO Radio 1080 AM. And we'll be on noon to one, noon to one next Saturday with Perfect. Dr. Biles. And that's specific. All right, thank you. Time. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, for the last few minutes of the show, I've got about 15 minutes left. Um, I, I got an, a message during the show from one of the listeners, and um they wanted me to give more information about certain types of hearings. So I'm going to talk about um, where a lot of people are in the um, juvenile dependency process um, and try to give some advice as to how to assist them in their case. Now, the first thing that I want to tell you is, is that um, if you have an attorney, all right, and it's a court-appointed attorney, and you can't afford to hire a private attorney, you're going to have to learn to work with your court-appointed attorney. Do not think that you can ever do this case by yourself. Now, a lot of people are offended when I tell them that. And I want to give you kind of um, an analogy. If a doctor tells you, hey, Mr. Jones, Mrs. Jones, you need open-heart surgery, are you going to ask the doctor, hey, doc, how do I do that myself? How do I do that so I can do it myself? Of course you're not going to ask. Because if you try to do it yourself, you're going to die on the operation table. So a lot of people ask me, hey, Mr. Davis, how do I do this myself? And that goes back to what I was just telling the last caller. You know, you have a sense of justice um, that is not uh, the same as courtroom justice. And if you don't understand that, you're always going to be believing that, you know, the court or the judge was unfair. It's just that you're looking at the, the situation, your case, through the wrong set of glasses. And that's why you need to go ha talk to an attorney or use the attorney that you have. So right now we're going to talk about what's called the six-month review date. Generally, there is a detention hearing, there is a jurisdictional hearing, there is a dispositional hearing. And at that dispositional hearing, if the which is, by the way, the most important uh, hearing in a juvenile dependency case, 
and maybe on another show I'll talk about the intricacies of the disposition hearing. But at the disposition hearing, if you if you don't get your child, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, you're entitled to at least six months of family reunification services. And that means where you do certain things like parenting, individual counseling, anger management, drug rehabilitation counseling, uh, uh, drug testing, uh, sexual abuse counseling, you know, anger management counseling, domestic violence counseling. You do some or all of those services as they were ordered by the judge. And then you come back and you, you know, expect to get your child before, excuse me, at the six-month hearing. Now, as an aside, there's things that you can do to get your child back before the six-month hearing, but that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. At the six-month hearing, the, the to you, uh, unless the department can prove by a preponderance of evidence, and that's important, by a preponderance of evidence, that you're still a risk, and that's important, to the child or to the children. And... That's not as easy for the social worker to do as you might think. The social worker will write a report, and in the report, she's supposed to t give uh, court an update on the child, how the child's been doing in the last six months, and is also so supposed to report on your progress in your reunification plan. When you hear the term reunification, family reunification, or FR services, where you know people are talking about the same thing. So sometimes the social worker writes in the report, you know, the parent has done everything, but I think he or she needs to do more or needs to do something in addition to what she's been doing. In many counties, um, even though there's been a, a reunification plan that has been um, ordered by the court at the disposition hearing. In many counties, the new social worker, you know, tries to add on things. So I get a lot of calls from people, well, the judge told me to do parenting and drug uh, counseling and, and drug testing. Now the social worker wants me to do domestic violence counseling. And the question becomes, do I have to do it? The answer is no, you don't have to do it. <laughs> Excuse me, you don't have to do it. I mean, you can if you want but you don't have to do it. So you show up at the six-month hearing, the report says you've done everything, and uh, the social worker is not recommending the child to be returned to you. So the thing that you should do is you should tell your attorney that you want to set the case for trial. Yes, you're entitled to have a trial at the six-month review hearing. Now, generally what happens is they pick another date and you come back for trial. What I've been seeing more and more is is that the social worker has been ordered to send the re send the um, report to you, uh, and they bring it to court, and your attorney picks up the uh, the report prior to the six month review date, and if you're not you and your attorney are not in agreement with a recommendation, you have to go to trial on that date when you show up. Now, generally, most people don't show up for to receive the report, and they don't know that the judge is going to be going forward with a trial on that day um, because they've never talked to their attorney. So one of the things that you should do is you should communicate with your, uh, your attorney to find out if your judge proceeds in the manner that I just mentioned, or will you be able to pick a trial date on that six-month date? Now, let's assume that you've, you've picked a trial date and it's a couple of weeks away, two or three weeks away, sometimes more, and you're going to have a trial. Now, it's extremely important that you sit down with your attorney once or twice to have a strategy session on what you guys are going to do or should do at the trial. 
Many, many times I hear from people, well, we set it for trial, I never talked to my attorney, and we just showed up at the hearing, and I lost. Well, of course you lost. There was no preparation. There was no strategy. You can't win a trial, even against social workers, uh, who may or may not be telling the truth, if you don't have a plan. So when you speak to your attorney, and, and if it has to be over the phone, so be it, but you speak to your attorney, you want your attorney to explain to you what you have to prove to get the child back. Okay, now, the, the general thing that you might want to do is you might want to subpoena in witnesses. Not might, you need to subpoena in witnesses. The first person that you should subpoena in, uh, and your attorney can do this or will do this for you, hopefully, is the social worker who wrote the report. You want to subpoena her in with all her records so that she can get on the stand and be cross-examined by your attorney as to why she doesn't or he doesn't want to return the child to you. Now, I just was in a case this week where um, the day before the hearing, the social I was emailed by the social worker's attorney telling me, oh, the social worker won't be there, but I can have her supervisor there. And I've actually seen judges make attorneys go forward um, without the worker who wrote the report. Um, luckily, we started the trial, but luckily the judge picked another date for that social worker to be present. Um, we were told that the social worker was out on medical leave, and I don't know why they waited till the day before the trial in the late afternoon to tell me that she was on medical leave. Uh, but I got the impression they didn't want to bring the social worker forward because there was some, you know, on how the case developed and the witnesses that I had. But now she's ordered back, and um, <clears throat> I'm going to have the opportunity to cross-examine her regarding what she did, what she didn't do, and why she's making certain requirements, or certain recommendations to the judge. So that's the first witness that you need to have present, the social worker because the social worker is writing a report making a recommendation that your child shouldn't be returned to you. And you want your attorney to ask, well, tell me the reasons why. Now, sometimes social workers say some of the craziest things that aren't supported by law, aren't supported by any facts, aren't supported by any evidence, and sometimes are in direct opposition to what the evidence is. So you need the social worker to be there. The only way you can do that is by having her ordered there at the previous hearing, and that will save you a subpoena, or having your attorney subpoena the social worker to the hearing. The next witness you should have, or witnesses, are, are all of your service providers. For example, your parenting instructor, your individual counselor, your drug rehab counselor, your domestic violence counselor, you want to have them present to testify as to what course you took and if they and what they taught and what they believe you learned in the class. Because sometimes the social worker says, oh, I think Mr. Davis needs more individual counseling. Now, remember, the social worker really doesn't have the foundation to say that. Generally, social workers, generally, some of them are, aren't licensed professionals where they can say, tell you, whether they have, whether you should, you know, need more counseling. You've you got to be able to be qualified to even say something like that. But social workers say it all the time. And even if they are licensed, um, they haven't counseled with you. So how are they making that opinion, saying that opinion? Under California evidence law, that may or may not, in my opinion, may not be admissible. But anyway, you want to have those service providers there that can testify uh, as to what you did and the progress that you made. Uh, and the next type of witness, if you were doing a drug testing or drug counseling, you want to make sure that um, the records from the drug test testing and drug counseling facility are there so that they can be um, introduced into evidence. Uh, sometimes, you know, social workers say, well, you didn't take the drug test. Mr. Davis missed the drug test. But if you subpoena the records, you'll see, well, there was no drug test on that day, or no, Mr. Davis did show up for the drug testing. Um, you know, so the social workers say a lot of things, 
and they're not always backed up by the records. The next thing you, you might want to suggest or talk to your attorney about is doing a trial brief. A trial brief is kind of a roadmap provided to the judge um, as to what the evidence will say and what the law will support. This may be persuasive in, in close cases where the judge may look at the trial brief and go with your um, you know, roadmap of how the case should turn out, only because most often the other attorneys on the case, uh, the county counsel, who is the prosecutor, and the children's attorney, uh, who may be against you, um, will not usually turn in a trial brief on any particular case. And when you want witnesses served with a subpoena, and there are rules about serving that. Serving a subpoena has to be an adult, and it has to be personally handed to the witness unless they agree in writing to accept it via fax or email, um, and they sign that writing. So make sure that uh, that is done, and make sure if you have problems serving a witness, you can um, ask the sheriff in your county to serve the subpoena for you. We have about a minute left. Um, next week, we're going to be starting a new format. Um, we're going to also be doing this on, on Blog Talk Radio live, but we're also going to be live streaming on the Internet uh, the show, along with being on Blog Talk Radio. Now, right now, it, the live stream, the video portion will only be of me, uh, but in the future, where callers want to want to, not if they don't want to, but if they want to appear on the live stream, we're going to be working that out. So the it's going to be like uh, the show will be on radio and on live stream television on the internet where you can watch it live, and it'll also be recorded. Uh, but I want to be required to appear on that live stream. Anyway, 10 seconds left. We'll see you next week on the radio, and I'll tell you more about the live stream and the voting, uh, voting as a group. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.